Well, who gives you reliable advice? Uh, it used to be um, books and magazines, lifestyle shows like uh, Gardening Australia. Do you remember uh, Gardening Australia? Better Homes and Gardens, still on. Dr Harry always gives you good advice. Uh, now we listen to podcasts. We watch YouTube. I uh, was looking at YouTube to work out how to reset my uh, headphones on Saturday afternoon. They'd, they'd stop working. Very useful advice. Uh, we watch, uh, we, we follow social media influencers and experts who give us hints on home decorating, fashion, fitness, cooking, all sorts of hobbies, sports and pastimes. But how do you know who to trust? Who's qualified? Who's reliable? Now, most of that information, it's not really that important, is it? You know, my headphones, they stop working. It's not the end of the world. They're more like suggestions or hints to improve the things that you already know. But what about advice about God and how to please him? How do you know who's giving you reliable advice? Out of all the Christian websites, blogs, YouTube videos, church live streams, online courses, how do you know who to listen to and who to ignore? Now, much of the letter of 2 Corinthians is about that exact question. Paul is defending his own ministry and the reliability of his advice, while at the same time warning about false teachers. Now, this comparison, it comes into sharp focus here in today's chapter, in chapter 6. Uh, back in chapter 2, Paul first started giving us a little hint uh, on what his opponents were about, what they were like. He says in verse 17 of chapter 2, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. On the contrary, in Christ, we speak before God with sincerity like men sent from God. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? So these are false teachers with, uh, with wrong motivations, with forged credentials, uh, compared to reliable leaders, Paul and his co-workers. Now, Paul is not doing this to make himself look good. He wants to protect the Corinthians. He wants to make sure that they are not led astray. You can see that that's his point there in the middle of the section, verse 11 to 13 uh, of chapter 6. Uh, on the one hand, uh, Paul is pleading with them to renew their, their close relationship with him. He says, open wide your hearts to us. And then in verse 14, on the other hand, he says... Do not be yoked together with unbelievers. He's thinking about his opponents, the fake teachers. So these are the two commands in the middle of the chapter. Listen to us, don't listen to them. That's the central idea of the chapter. So verses 3 to 13, Paul describes his ministry, why he is reliable. Then verses 14 to 16, why his opponents aren't reliable. So, firstly, uh, the reliable guide. Well, the first test about who you should listen to, a reliable guide is consistent. Uh, his life backs up his message. Look there in verse 3. We put no stumbling block in anyone's path so that our ministry will not be discredited. 
There's nothing in Paul's life, in uh, his co-workers, in their lives, that uh, there's nothing that will undermine a leader's ministry more than hypocrisy. You know the sorts of things. Church leaders who say one thing but then do another. Unfortunately, we see it in the news too much. The, The media loves that sort of thing. And it causes people to stumble, both Christians and non-Christians. It causes people to miss seeing Jesus because of the bad behaviour of his followers. The best way to avoid it is be consistent. Now that means doing what you teach, but more than that, it means living consistently, behaving the same way when people are watching you and when they're not. That's most important, isn't it? Reliable leaders, they're the same in their own house as they are when they're on show. They don't wear masks. They treat people the same, whoever they are. Consistency. Follow leaders like that. Be influenced by reliable guides like that. Which means being like that yourself. Being consistent. Strive for godliness so that other people don't stumble over you on their way to meeting Jesus. Well, next Paul changes from the negative to the positive. Uh, He doesn't, uh, not only does he remove stumbling blocks, but he actually adds positive things to reinforce. So verse verse 4, he says, Rather, as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. We don't put stumbling blocks we commend. Notice his behaviour is defined by what God requires as servants of God. Too often leaders are motivated by what people will think of them, what will make them popular or respected or needed, what decisions will result in the least opposition. But Paul's boss is God. As servants of God, we commend ourselves. And so his behaviour is such that it commends his ministry, that it reinforces, it it, uh, provides a foundation for, it demonstrates his message. And then through to verse 7, he gives some examples of how he serves God. First, about how he serves God. About how he serves, uh, how he deals with hardship. So verse, end of, halfway through verse 4, he says, In great endurance, in troubles, hardships and distresses, in beatings, imprisonments and riots, in hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. Three sets of three difficulties, all of them requiring great endurance. That's sort of the overarching uh, uh, characteristic. They all require endurance. Uh, three general situations... Troubles, hardships and distresses. Uh, Next, there are three trials brought on by other people. Beatings, imprisonments and riots. And then finally, three behaviours that Paul himself chooses to respond with. He He gets to choose his response. Do you see that? Hard work, sleepless nights and hunger. Those things could have been avoided, perhaps if he'd chosen a different path, but he's making the decision on, I will do this. 
Everyone can be patient and gracious when things are going well, but it's difficulties that show the sort of leader that someone is, that show who a leader is serving. Difficulties separate the reliable guide from the unreliable one. Then verse 6 and 7 describe three attractive qualities. Uh, Sorry, describe attractive qualities, fruit of the Spirit. Uh, Paul commends his ministry, verse 6, in purity, understanding, patience and kindness, in the Holy Spirit and in sincere love, in truthful speech and in the power of God. Now, the way Paul just keeps his description going from verse 5 into verse 6, I think suggests that these godly qualities that he displays happen while the trials happen to him. It's not while the trials happening, I put up with them and I'm being cranky and uptight. No, it's while the trials happen, I show purity, understanding, patience. Normal people respond with selfishness and grumbling, but patience and kindness while he's sleepless, hungry and beaten. I think that makes it even more extraordinary, more likely to have come from God. These are the actions worthy of a servant of God. Purity, patience, kindness, genuine interest, love for others. They reinforce, they commend the gospel. Uh, Karen's parents became Christians because of this type of behaviour, because of the kind help of their local Anglican minister when she was uh, very young. Uh, Unusually, this minister had agreed to baptise Karen and her brother Anthony, even though her parents weren't Christian, uh, something that he never did. Uh, But for some reason, he did with with Karen's parents. Uh, But it started a relationship. Uh, so that when Karen's mum had to take Anthony to the hospital with asthma, the only person she could think to ask to look after Karen was the minister's wife. Now that led to Karen's mum and then her dad and then both Karen and her brother becoming Christians. The gospel was reinforced by loving, generous actions. Uh, Their walk backed up their talk. Uh, Verse 7 calls them weapons. (laughs) In truthful speech and in the power of God, with weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. (laughs) It's good, isn't it? The picture is a soldier, armed to the teeth, pistol in one hand, knife in the other, grenade launcher over one shoulder, long-range rifle over the other, gas mask in his belt, night vision goggles perched on the top of his head. Weapons of righteousness in the right hand and the left. Whatever the situation he faces, he's got the equipment to cope. Whatever the difficulty, he's got the spirit-powered weapon for the task. Sexual temptation comes along, purity can fight it. A difficult cultural decision, understanding makes it easier. Long days, tough conditions, slow responses... Patience keeps him going. A difficult, needy personality, kindness means giving to that person. The temptation to work from selfish motives instead of service, well, sincere love 
keeps the interests of others at the front. Conflict and opposition, false accusations, the temptation to stretch the truth or exaggerate, well, truthful speech ensures God will always honour his words. Uh, The ugly monsters of doubt, low self-esteem, a lack of confidence rise. Well, if you remember that, it's all done by the power of God that will keep him humble and his eyes on God. Weapons of righteousness in the right and the left. Follow leaders like that. Be influenced by reliable guides like that. Remembering that he's God's servant means that what people think doesn't matter. Uh, Verse 8 and 9, he moves on to the contrast between what people think to the reality. Have a look at verses 8 and 9. Through glory and dishonour, bad report and good report, genuine yet regarded as impostors, known yet regarded as unknown. The false teachers... Uh, They accuse him of being dishonourable, of being an imposter, of being nothing. But Paul only cares what God thought. It's so hard, isn't it, to not be influenced by what people think of us. I know it's a strong influence on me for people to think well of me. Worrying about what others think keeps me quiet when I should speak. It makes me stammer and stutter when I should be bold. Worrying about what others think makes me retreat when I should stand firm. It makes me soft when I should be firm. It uh, makes me keep things the same when I need to change things. But for Paul, the dishonour and the bad report from some people, it's much less important than the glory and the good report from God. It's much more important for God to know that that he's genuine than for people to think that he's only an imposter. And God's view of him, I think, helps with another set of comparisons in verse 9 and 10. It's the, the same life viewed from two different positions. The first, from the earthly, physical, present point of view. The second way of looking at his life, from the heavenly, spiritual, godly point of view. So look at verse 9. Dying, and yet we live on. Beaten, and yet not killed. Sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. Poor, yet making many rich. Having nothing yet possessing everything. That's seeing with God's eyes your situation, isn't it? It's much better to be dying and beaten and sorrowful and poor on the outside for a moment and to live on rejoicing, making many rich and possessing eternity. That's what matters. His critics think he's a failure that he's lost everything. And and yet what he gives up, what he suffers, and and the suffering he experiences, it's nothing compared to what he's looking forward to. It's rubbish compared to what he's gaining. 
Now, this is just what uh, Jim Elliott realised. I've spoken about him a little bit before. He's the missionary who was martyred by cannibals in Ecuador in 1956. And in his diary, before he left for Ecuador, he wrote these words, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he can't keep to gain what he can't lose. Now, what did he mean by that? That's why he left the comfort and the safety of America for the jungles of Ecuador. He gave up. He gave up his ambition, his prospects. He gave up his comfort. And ultimately, he gave up his life. All things that he couldn't hold on to anyway. And he did them to gain his eternal reward, to gain God's approval. All things God had promised him as sure and certain because of Jesus. Now, have you got that perspective on your life? Follow leaders like that. Be influenced by reliable guides like that. Well, Paul's purpose in talking about himself like this is to contrast the false teachers, the unreliable guides, because, you see, the Corinthians were following them instead. And so Paul pleads with them, verse 11, come back to us. We love you. We've been honest with you. It literally says there in verse 11, we've opened our mouths to you, which means we've told you the truth clearly. We've told it to you obviously. Now, now that's what a reliable teacher does, isn't it? He describes his genuine love for them. We haven't just opened our mouths, we've opened our hearts to you. And then he requests, open your hearts to us. So that's the plea to be restored to the Corinthians. But then look at verse 14. Do not be yoked with unbelievers. For what does righteousness and wickedness have in common, or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now that idea of being yoked, the picture is two different animals, uh, an ox and a donkey perhaps. And imagine them yoked together and trying to pull a plough, but they've got different natures and shapes and strengths, uh, and they pull in different ways and with a different gait, in different directions, it just doesn't work. Now, normally you hear this verse used to say that you shouldn't go out with a non-Christian or or marry a non-Christian. Now, that's certainly good advice. And it might be an application of this verse, but it's not what Paul's talking about. He's talking about the false teachers who are leading the Corinthians away from the truth of the gospel. Now, you may think that's a tough call, calling these teachers in the church... Wicked unbelievers. But they don't just have a different opinion about things that are not that important. They actually preached a different gospel, a different way of being saved, a different Jesus. Look at how Paul describes them over in chapter 11. Uh, Say, verse 4. So if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached... 
Or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it easily enough. But I do not think I am in the least inferior to those super apostles. Now they're strong words, aren't they? A different Jesus, a different gospel. Paul's saying that they look all right, they sound all right, but they're deceitful. They're devious and they're leading people away from the truth. Back over into chapter 6, Paul goes on in verse 15 and 16. uh, You're serving Christ. They are serving Satan or idols. So don't be yoked together with them. So that's his reliable advice. And then to support his advice, he goes on to use the Old Testament. And it's interesting to to think about how he uses these verses because uh, it shows us how we can be using the Old Testament. Now firstly he says that the people of the Corinthian church are the temple of the living God. Which is interesting, isn't it? Uh, The temple was a building in Jerusalem in Israel and was actually now a pile of rocks. But back in the Old Testament, God's glory came down and filled the Jewish temple, his visible presence, a cloud. It was a sign that God himself was there with the people in that building. And then in the New Testament, God's spirit came and filled his people. On the day of Pentecost, when there were visible tongues of fire and the sound of rushing wind. Now that meant that God was with them. And so his promise in Leviticus to Israel, Paul's saying that's also true for these Gentile Christians. Which means it's true for us on the other side of the world when God says, I will live with them and walk with them and be their God and they will be my people. But those are promises for you and for me. And so what, what does all that mean for your behaviour? Well, verse 17 Christians should be separate from the people around them. Come out from them and be separate. Because the holy, pure God lives among you. And then there's a quote from Isaiah 52 uh, to the Jews in Babylon. Therefore come out from them and be separate, says the Lord. Touch no unclean thing and I will receive you. Interesting promise. Isaiah 52 is spoken to Jews who are living in Babylon and it it was a command to to leave Babylon. Now, what's that going to mean for us to come out from them and be separate? Well, it's going to mean something different uh, for the Gentile Christians living in Corinth. It'll look different for us living here in secular non-Christian Australia. We're not going to leave our country We need God's wisdom. We need reliable teachers to help us work out how to apply this principle to come out and be separate. Do you notice how Paul does it in uh, chapter 7, verse 1? He says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, which is interesting, isn't it? God promising Israel. And Paul says, Since we have these promises, dear friends, Let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness 
out of reverence or fear for God. Notice firstly, promises originally given to Israel are true for us as Christians. Wherever we live, whatever our nationality. Now, the command to purify yourselves, it's not going to mean what it meant for Israel. It's not going to mean to destroy pagan altars and kill foreign nations. It's not going to mean that for us in Australia. And it's not going to mean having nothing to do with non-Christians, not socialising with them, not working with them. It's not going to mean that. We are called to be salt and light in the world. We are called to influence without being influenced. It's a a balancing act, isn't it? It's a, a fine line at times. How to be a strong witness, put no stumbling block before people, how to commend ourselves in every way, and yet at the same time be separate and holy and distinct and pure. How to be influencing without being influenced. How to be in the world, but not of it. It, It's tough. One line, I think, perhaps, that we might draw is is with things that are religious. Uh, Purifying yourself might mean not attending religious ceremonies with people who aren't Christians, but it might mean going to a birthday party or something like that of another religion. Remember the context also here is specifically to do with false teachers with unbelievers in the church and I think we've got to think carefully about that. How to keep clear from those types of influences who are saying they're Christian. At the very least it means always checking that what you hear about the Bible or about God is true to the Bible. That's why I say every time I stand up here, open your Bibles, follow along with what I am saying. Don't just take my word for it. That's the same for anything you might see on the internet. Out of reverence, out of fear for God, purify yourselves of anything that contaminates you. Right, appropriate, healthy fear of God's holiness motivates us to be holy as well. Don't be half-hearted about your holiness either. Notice the goal is to complete your holiness. We'll never get there in this life, will we? But it's a goal to aim for, complete holiness. Now this is the advice that reliable teachers give you. Listen to people like that. Copy people like that. But it's more than just advice, isn't it? Remember, this is God who promises his help, who promises to be a father to us, who promises us his Holy Spirit to live in us as his temple, who promises us his wisdom and his fruit and his gifts, who promises to equip us with weapons of righteousness to deal with anything. So may God work in us to be all that he commands of us. Since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. That's the advice of reliable leaders. Follow it. Let's pray.
Our Heavenly Father, great advice. Uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, teach us what it means to fear you. Uh, teach us what it means to trust your promises uh, so that we might uh, purify ourselves, uh, perfect holiness as we separate from all the influences who uh, will lead us astray from you. Uh, give us wisdom to know who to listen to and whose advice to ignore. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.